Well, again, I'm blessed to, to be with y'all. It's such a great privilege. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to have a feeling that I can't think of anything I'd rather be than right here with you. And I don't have those feelings all the time, obviously, but uh, it, it's been such a, a privilege. I appreciate you putting up with my hearing issues. You know, sometimes you have to turn issues on their head. Uh, the devil will throw problems at you and flaws and this and that. And, and how I've turned this on its head, rather than it seeing it as a curse, is... Um, I pray all the time for the people that I'm going to be with. And, and I think if, if I didn't have hearing needs, I would just kind of stumble into conversations and stumble out of them. But, um, you know, when I meet with people, I'm always praying ahead of time for our time together. And not only that I could hear, but God would use the time. So, you know... I know some of you feel you have needs, whether it's intellect or physical or relational. You know, God wants to, to turn those things on its head where he gets the glory, and he'll do it. And he has with me, even those, you know, these are a pain in the neck. But um, I've, I've quit seeing it as a curse, but really as a gift from God. And uh, you need to do that with some of these things that come up in your life. Well, Vanessa, I appreciated your story. Where, which one? Are, okay, there you are. What a, what a treat to hear that and what God has done. I'm, I thought, uh, you know, I think that's all everyone needs to hear today is what she said. But you've got to put up with me for a couple, little bit. So here we go. Um, this talk was really birthed um, after a, a conversation I had with Robbie Nutter, who's the campus minister, uh, took over after I retired. And he was sharing that he just felt Christian Challenge at K-State did not have a, a culture of confession. And, uh, you know, God was doing a whole lot of things at K-State and mission trips and people coming to the Lord and discipleship happening. But that was his evaluation just kind of off the cuff. And I, I thought about that. And, you know, so many uh, churches I've been in, campus ministries I've been in, and in fact, even my own heart, my own family, sometimes there's not a, a culture of confession. And my feeling is, is that when that's not happening, we lose a lot of our spiritual power because um, if I'm holding things in, then I'm at some level blocking what God wants to do, not only in me and through me. Remember our theme, pass it on. Again, I'd be talking about our inner life because it's so critical to really be people who can pass on the gospel as well as God would want them to. So that's kind of our, our topic this morning. I, I want to start with a story. 
And it was in 1996, we were having our summer missions orientation in Norman, Oklahoma at their retreat center. And I was leading a team of nine students to uh, Northeast China for the summer. And the stakes were really high because uh, there had been no Western group, much less a Christian group, come up, come into this campus. And one of the, you know, a really quality campus. And, and we were, I'm sure we we're going to be under the microscope with uh, administration and, and all that. So, uh, but we really wanted to set the stage for future opportunities uh, for our students and others to go uh, witness in China and help you know, cooperate with God with what he wants to do. So we were at this orientation, and during one of the sessions, one of our team members was asked to share about her previous year experience in Uzbekistan. Her name is Carol. And so she got up in front of the group, just like I'm in front of you all, and talked about what God did last summer, some previous summer. And it was a really hard situation, but God broke through, and they had some wonderful spiritual conversations, and the team gelled together, and there were some issues, but they gelled together, and, and so Carol shared that. And so after she sat down, she, she just shared about 10, 15 minutes, uh, one of the other gals on our team stood up. And she said, could I say something? And the leader said, well, sure. So she came up to the front and said, uh, as Carol was sharing, I was so jealous and envious. And I wished I was the one getting the credit rather than her. And she said, Carol, I'm so sorry for my attitude of jealousy and envy, and I wondered if you would forgive me. And this was shared with the whole group. And she did that publicly, I think, because she knew her attitude would, would affect the whole group at some level. And she just felt that's what God wanted her to do. Well, Carol stood and said, sure, I forgive you, and they hugged. And so then we went to our campus time. And uh, we had a room there, and uh, the 10 of us. And so I, I'm the leader, and I'm thinking, you know, how am I going to follow this? And, um, but I felt that we just needed to pray. You know, I had an agenda of stuff to talk about and this and that. But I felt that's what we just needed to do. So we all got down on our knees. We turned the, the chairs so we were on our knees uh, facing each other. And we begin to pray that hour, and person after person after person, including me, talked about confessed jealousy of the others, envy, they wish they had more skill, and this and that. And then so it went around the room, and we prayed for God's protection from those issues uh, that we had just prayed about. Well, that summer, uh, I... Not sure I've ever been in a, in, in a situation where I felt the Spirit of God was more real and moving. We saw college students come to Christ, men and women, 
some of those ended up starting a church later. Um, and God opened the door for us to come back. And we ended up, you know, I guess we've had 400 students go to, go to China. And I think I mentioned that earlier. But I got to tell you, I think it all began with that confession of, uh, of uh, Jennifer when she got up in front of the group. And then as we prayed. You know, we had done a lot of preparation. We were culturally in touch. We had practiced sharing the gospel. We had done all this stuff for weeks and weeks. But her confession, in a sense, released the power of God. So um, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, it's true that 1 John 1, 9 says, uh, conf uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteous, unrighteousness. Uh, I've claimed that verse many times. Perhaps you have too. And, and, and we confess our sins to God. And because of what's happened on the cross and his promise, he forgives us. In fact, one of the songs we sang earlier, the cross is spoken and I am forgiven. And I was sitting back there just thinking how incredibly true that is. And so, in a sense, our sins are forgiven and our confessor is God. But in another sense, God has called us to confess to one another. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, but you know why this doesn't happen much? I, I suspect it's because of pride. Uh, because our life revolves around us, we're just not willing to humble ourselves. We just don't want to go there. There's a verse in James 4.10 that says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And, you know, this is God's call to us, to humble ourselves before God and in in turn, before others. If we humble ourselves before God, then we'll, by inference, humble ourselves before others. But, you know, how does this happen? You know, I've, I've heard and I've thought it myself, how do, I, how do I humble ourselves? Certainly, a part of that is, the, the, I believe the last song we sang about surrender, I surrender all. And uh, that in itself is a humbling experience. But let me share with a story um, about David. And you probably know this story. It's from uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. So his army was out fighting the wicked uh, Amalekites led by David's trusted general, Joab. And it was a tough fight. David was at home in Jerusalem. So David was up on top of his house, and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. You all know this story. And uh, he was physically attracted to her. Being the king, he, had, he could have her come over to his place. 
And, you know, in some ways, I guess David felt he had a free card because adultery was punishable by death. But uh, I think he had felt like he held a get-out-of-jail-free card or something. And so they had sex, and she got pregnant. Well, her husband, Uriah, was back fighting, and uh, David thought, i gotta, I got to figure out how to have smoke and mirrors here to, to, uh, to get rid of my issue with Bathsheba. So he came. Uriah came back. David said, I'm so glad to see you, and you have a free pass to go be with your wife. And so Uriah, he said, I, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm, my, den, my friends are out there dying in the battle, and because of my loyalty to them, I'm not going to go have pleasure with my wife when they are giving their lives for you, David, and for Israel. Well, David thought, okay, I'm going to get him drunk, and, and then he'll wander off to his house. Well, even then, uh, he had enough moral fiber, even being drunk, where he didn't go. And so David uh, writes a note, Uriah takes it back to, uh, to his family. Just a second, I've got to fiddle with, I put in a hearing aid, and that was wrong to do when I've got this around me. So uh, David, um, Uriah goes back, and Uriah puts him in the front lines, and Uriah is killed. Well, um, David uh, then, of course, he's free to marry Bathsheba. Well, there's a prophet named Nathan, and he's picking up on this. I don't know if, if God specifically told him or he just had the lay of the land and he sorted it out. But anyway, he comes to David, and he confronts David with his sin. And David says before Nathan, and, it, and in reality before the whole world, because read we read the story, you know, years later. And so David confesses. In fact, he says, I have sinned. Now, from that moment of confession, a letter is written in Psalms 51, and I, uh, I want to share this, this letter with you, part of it. I don't have it all written out. I've, I've cut it down a little bit. Psalms 51 says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. Surely you desire integrity, get this, in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. And this was birthed out of his sin and his confession. Now, uh, let, let's, let me go back and, and spotlight a couple of verses here. Swiftly, the next slide. 
And uh, here's a, a couple of those verses from that passage I just read. David said, you are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. You hear what he's saying here? You know, sa sacrifices of animals was the way uh, God had opened the door for Israel to have atonement for their friend, sins. That was the Old Testament way. But in, in this spot, Dave said those, those things, those outward sacrifices are not working, you know, and, and they don't work for us either. You know, sometimes we'll sin and we think, you know, I just got to shape up my life. I'll, I need to do more Bible reading and this and that. But we're skirting the issue, and that's what David realized here. And, and he said, that's why he said, it's a broken spirit. It's a it's a humble heart that what God is after. And so my question to you this morning is, do you have an inner culture of confession, of humility? Is that a culture of your ministry, of the church you go to? You know... And, and this is what God wants from us. And, and that's how humility begins to happen. Now, before I go on with, with uh, talking about humility, let me give you a few comments about it. And uh, one is a humble and broken person is glad when others succeed. Do you rejoice when others succeed? That's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, Romans 15 or 12, 15 says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think we get it backwards. A lot of times when one of my, my close friends has a great opportunity and great success and, you know, he's noted and praised, you know, I weep about that. I don't rejoice about it. I think I wish that was me that had that. I get the verse totally opposite. And, but God says, no, you rejoice with those that rejoice and you weep with those that weep. And I go, oh yeah, why can't I get that in my head? Because I do just the opposite. I think our question would be, do we really celebrate those we know that have opportunities in advance that God uses? Another one, a humble and broken person sees their own failures rather than others. Um, sometimes I've let myself off of the hook by um, another person who is wronger than me. And I, I remember one time in particular, there was someone on our state uh, staff and she didn't like me. She didn't like our philosophy of ministry. And I was just kind of hateful to her. I, it wasn't so much verbally. I just didn't like her very well. And because she, she was always criticizing what we were doing. And 
I feel God's convicted me that, you know, I need to get my heart right with her. So I went to her, went to her office over in Topeka and sat down and I said, you know, uh, I just haven't cared for you and celebrated you and, and I'm not on your team and I wondered if you would forgive me for, for not thinking the very best of you and she said, yeah, I forgive you. She didn't say anything about her issues, but I had to make peace with that. But that's, you know, so I needed to go to her regardless of what she was doing to me. Another one, a humble and broken person will take the first step toward healing a fractured relationship. And then another one, a humble and broken person looks to God's standard rather than comparing with others. Looks to God's standard. I, uh, I was going to seminary back in the late 70s, and I, my last semester I had to leave at 4 in the morning on Tuesday, and I got back about uh, 5 that evening on Friday. And so, um, and then I did ministry Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I had an early morning Bible study with our leaders. There were about 15 of them. And so what I would do when I got home on Friday, I would literally take my note cards of, of papers I needed to write. And we had a word processor that was before computer times. And Sandy, who is a really good typist, she would get at the word processor. I would literally get down on my knees next to her with these cards. And I would talk the papers to her and she would type them. And this would go on until about midnight because I, I would maybe do two papers that way, sometimes three. So I would fall into bed. And one day I, I overslept. I missed the alarm or didn't set it or whatever, and I woke up about 8 o'clock. Well, the students were gathering at 7 over at this uh, church, so someone had a key, and they were in there, they had pancakes, and so I come stumbling in about 8, an hour late, and uh, they, hey, Bob, they knew I was in seminary and all that, so it was no big deal to them, but I began to thinking, you know, I committed, as they did, to be here at 7. And I made that commitment to these 15 students. And so I felt God wanted me to address that. So we all were seated, seated there. And I said, you know, I, I just didn't answer the bell this morning. And uh, I'm so sorry that I uh, didn't fulfill our commitment to each other. And I was wrong. And I wondered if you would forgive me. Well, here I am, the campus minister, and these students sitting there, and they're kind of taken back. And, you know, they said, sure, we do. It's, it's not that big a deal to them, but I needed to confess that. And so the story is not over. We had a, a reunion about uh, six or seven years ago um, for uh, all the campus ministries in Kansas, Nebraska. And it was a great time. So one of those students came up to me, and he said, you know, I had a great time at K-State, and this is about 30 years after this event. And, 
And he said, you know, I learned a lot and uh, God changed my life, but I want you to know the most important thing I ever saw or ever learned was your confession that morning. And he said it, uh, it totally changed his life and how he viewed leadership and how he viewed obedience to God. Um, a humble person, a humble and broken person is free to share their needs and sins with others in spite of feeling shame about it. But uh, if you're humble and broken, you're free to share your needs and your sins with others, others you know and love and love you. Um, I got a story, but I'm going to leave that one out. So how might, we, how might we begin to acquire a humble and broken spirit? Well, there's a number of ways, obviously. But um, one I think that we really miss is this idea of confessing our sins to each other. James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And uh, I think that's one of the least used verses in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, this verse is not worn out by anyone that I know. And, and yet there it is. And does God forgive us? You know, uh, if, yes, he does. And because of the cross. And he is, our, you know, the one we confess to. But in some way, God has so designed community, the family of God, that our confession to each other is critically important. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, and the context is physical healing, but, you know, there's other kinds of healing that happen that would be right in the center of this verse. Uh, emotional healing, healing from... Uh, sin that we've uh, done. Uh, we had a time one time in K-State and just opened it up to everyone. It was at the end of the year and we were talking about debriefing and planning for the next semester. And I just said, uh, you know, if anyone has something to share, feel free. There was about 30 students there, our, kind of our leadership, Bible study people and all that. And so I, I just said, yeah, I was going to give it, you know, 20 seconds. And I was thinking, this ain't going to fly at all. But I felt like I should do it. So right, at, right before I was getting ready to stand up and going back, you know, get up and dismiss the meeting, this girl stands up. And she comes to the front and she says, uh, and this is one of our top leaders. She said, I've been living a lie before you. And I've been sleeping with my boyfriend. And Noah knows it, but me and him. And I'm so sorry to have been living this lie before you. And I wondered if you would forgive me. And uh, you can imagine the, 
the ripple, the shock effect by seeing our, one of our very key leaders confess that. And uh, we gathered around her and prayed and, you know, God freed her of that. She, she cut loose of that relationship, went on to be in China for two years, is doing great in ministry now. But she needed to confess that sin to us. By the way, that meeting lasted four hours of people getting right with each other and confessing their needs. Um, I, when I was getting ready to go to Vietnam, uh, a couple of guys I knew had just been killed over there and I was going, and I had a dinner with my sister. This was about a month before I left. She's five years younger than me. I was uh, 22, so she would have been 17, I guess. And growing up, I just didn't treat her very well. I was the typical brother, kind of pushed her around. I didn't physically abuse her, but... Verbally, I would. I what are you doing? You know, she'd put on her little ballet costume, and I'd just say, get out of my way. I, I was just, I just didn't love her well. And so God convicted me of that, and we went out to eat Mexican food, and her name is Susan. And I said, Susan, uh, I'm really glad we have this time together, and you know, as we grew up, I was just not the brother to you that I should be. I remember one time, and we were in Tulsa, and these blacktop roads, and uh, she was two, and I was seven, and my mom said, could you carry Susan across the street? So I pick her up, and I go across the street, and the, the concrete, the asphalt is so hot and I was barefooted, I put her down in the middle of the road with this burning asphalt, and she starts screaming, and I run over on the grass. Well, my mom comes tearing out of the house and, you know, uh, gets her off the street. But, you know, that picture came to mind as I sat with Susan. And so I said, Susan... Uh, I just didn't love you and protect you as I should. And I wondered if you would forgive me. And she kind of sloughed it off. She said, oh, you're a great brother. I said, no. I said, it would really mean a lot to me. And she said, yeah, I will. Well, since then, we have been the best of friends. We talk all the time. But, you know, I wonder what I would give, had given up with that relationship, had I not done that, I I shudder to think about that, and it was uh, it was uh, forty over forty years ago, forty five years ago. Um, Nancy DeMoss writes an an interesting comment. I think I have a slide for it. Almost without exception. The greatest victories over sin come when we are willing to confess our sins before others and humbly receive their prayers. It's, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? And uh, 
almost without exception. And I think from what I've seen, I think that's pretty on target. The greatest victories over sin come when we are willing to confess our sins and humbly receive their prayers. There's a verse in John 12, 24 that says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it, if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so life comes in dying. And when I sat before my, my sister that day, and before those students on that Saturday morning, in a sense, I had to die. I, I had to lay down my life, offer it to God and to those that heard my confession. We all want spiritual power, don't we? We want God to use us. We want the Holy Spirit moving through our life. We want to be effective and as, a, as a leader, as being in a small group. We want to be able to be able to witness to our parents and siblings. Uh, we just want God to freely work through us, don't we? But the, the, the problem is the doorway, the journey into that power comes through humility. It doesn't come through everything you know. I mean, you can read a hundred books on evangelism and go to a hundred seminars on it. And yeah, you may be able to, to speak out things, but the power of God living through you comes through a humble and broken heart. You know, David went on to do great things for God. Of course, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. Uh, he established the nation of Israel, and he did great things, but he had to humble himself before God, before Nathan the prophet, and in a sense before everyone else who's read Psalms 51. So what about you? You know, James 5.16 is clear. Uh, we confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. Healing comes. You know, how are you with this? Um, some of you I know, maybe not all, need to pick up on this pretty well. You've had jealousy. You haven't celebrated with your friends. You may have gossiped about them. You may into, be into something that you shouldn't. I've been in situations where a gal stood up and said she's a, addicted to pornography. Um, you may have other needs that you've never shared with anyone. Anyone. It may not necessarily be a sin. It may be something that you've hidden. And God says, confess that. And so 
what I want to do now is um, give you a little bit of time, just a few minutes, it won't be long, to quietly think about your life and think about this thing I've talked about, confessing our sins, and uh, really engage with God about it. It could be that God would ask you to go to someone here, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, you're going to have the rest of the week to do that. And um, I would encourage you, don't let that slip by. It could be you would need to confess that to a larger group. Maybe you've done something that you've hid from your ministry that you would need to confess to them. I think you may have campus time later in the week, and you may need to confess that to them. It may be your small group. It may be a staff person that you've lied to about how you're doing spiritually, and they don't know the whole story. And we're talking about the power of confession and getting right with God and with people. So I want to give you just two or three minutes to uh, consider this, and then I'll pray, and then the worship team will come up. So just pause and spend some time with God. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I pray that the things the gang here has thought about and talked with you about, that you'd give them the grace to follow through. Lord, it could be they would want to talk to someone before they leave the room here or on the way to uh, lunch or after lunch. Lord, our life really is about choices we make. And I pray that they would make the right choices that would glorify you and that they would experience the wonder of the living God living in them and through them perhaps as never before. And that you would free them from the guilt of these things. You'd, you'd free them that if they're in bondage to these things and this would be a first step and moving with you on a new journey of, of freedom and the filling of the Holy Spirit in them and through them. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd help them to do the things that you've spoken to them about. In Jesus' name, amen.